0: Rob Isbitz, welcome back to Investing Experts. Always great to talk to you on Seeking Alpha. Always great to talk to you in general. Thanks for making the time.
1: Well, likewise, Rena. Great to be back and uh, ready to roar.
0: Absolutely. Oh, No pun intended, I imagine, um, it's, given your voice. Yeah, that's score. right. Yeah. Uh, that's right. You write under Sun Garden Investment Publishing on Seeking Alpha. You run ETFyourself.com. You've been on the podcast many times. You write a bunch on Seeking Alpha about a number of things. You've become the yield guy a bit. You have been the ETF guy. Talk to us about how you're looking at the markets. We've had a number of macro observers on the podcast lately talking about their viewpoints. How are you looking at things as broadly and as minutely as you want to go?
1: Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to do it through the prism of what I sort of accidentally uh, mentioned before, uh, what I call reward opportunity and risk or the ROAR score, which is something I created years ago and which we track uh, a little two ETF kind of offense and defense portfolio, because I think all investing is a combination of offense and defense and rotating them at different times. You know, I'm not a Big fan of the 60-40 approach uh, only because whatever is in your 60 and whatever is in your 40, you probably don't want them to be frozen in time for all time uh, when markets roll up and down. And I'm not just talking about stocks, I'm talking about bonds. So if you don't mind, I'll kind of give a brief history of where we are based on where we've been. And I think that might give folks perspective as opposed to, let's say, taking a very specific point in time, which could change by the time this hits the air.
0: Sure. Permission granted. Go forth.
1: All right. Great. So just as a quick review for everybody, uh, the ROAR score, ROAR opportunity and risk uh, is out of 100. So think of it this way. Your only choices are offense and defense, and and you know, of course at ETFyourself.com, I I I run different portfolios where uh, we get into deeper and deeper dives. But uh, I have to say, sometimes I look at how the the simple offense defense portfolio with you know spy and T bills in it uh, and rotating among those, and I look at how the it's done uh, since we kind of started tracking it formally with my own money. Uh, a couple of years ago uh, and I say hey, you know maybe y'all are making this too complicated, including me uh so a little perspective uh so a hundred would be like you know Max aggressive zero would be all in T bills um so in 50 and 50 and above is pretty much where reward is better than risk. I'm looking at uh potential reward. And because anything can go up at any time and risk, meaning risk of major loss or ABL, avoid big losses, I call it. And which which one is in greater balance, which one is dominating the other? And I tend to be risk averse anyway. Um, and so, you know, the rule score can really be personalized for anybody. So quick history came in a 2022 beginning of the year. The S&P was at forty eight hundred. The worst score is at 65. It hasn't been at 65 since that point. Uh, during the year, it ranged from 60 to 10. Uh, in August of 22, it went from 55 to zero in a month because things really started to go south later in that year. And of course, it ended up being the worst year for stocks and bonds a long time. And uh, probably since the 70s. And uh, then 2023 was, of course, the reverse year. uh, Through uh, October, the average stock was not doing very well. Uh, SPY uh, or SP 500 ETF was was up pretty nicely, but RSP, which is the average of the top 500 stocks, you know, equal weighted. And one I really like as a market tracker, not as an investment, EQAL, which is the thousand largest stocks so the russell 1000 equal weighted so you really get a sense of how most people's portfolios are doing unless they're crowded into the the very top heavy s p and nasdaq so those were flat to down most of the year and the roar was in the 25 range so keeping it you know pretty close to the best in 2024 we were 20 uh we were 35 to start the year dropped to 20 now we're at 10. So as we sit here today, we're at 10, but I think it's helpful to have that historical background. Uh, and because you know all this talk about all-time highs or 52-week highs, I, I hope that during this uh, edition of our uh, wonderful conversations, uh, which I truly enjoy, I hope that we have a chance to maybe pick at or point out some of the very, very common mistakes that I think investors are making in this strange, still post-pandemic environment. Uh, So when I look at things now, I see a stock market that is top-heavy, overvalued, uh, yet at the same time, there are uh, a lot of parts of the market that are extremely undervalued. However, I don't see a price catalyst yet. So it's one thing to be cheap, it's another thing to be cheap and viable and that's how I pick securities. Um and I think it's worth noting when we talk about all-time highs or you know say the S&P's at a two-year high, you know what that means to me? That we've gone nowhere for 2 years and that's kind of what it looks like. Uh, you know since the beginning of 22 through yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday. So, through Tuesday night's close, the SP is up a whopping. This is uh, what, two years and almost two months. Okay. So, uh, to, uh, what is that? 26 months. SP is up 7%. T bills, one to three month T bills, B I L is the symbol, also up 7%. Equal, E Q A L, that top 1,000 equal weighted, minus 4%. IEF, seven to 10-year bonds, including the yield, so not just the price, down 14% in 26 months. And TLT, which a lot of people are mistaking for the bond market because they're not going below the headlines. TLT invests in 20 to 30-year bonds, treasuries. But so what? Treasuries, yeah, maybe they're safe if you hold them forever and the government doesn't have more problems than they. Already have, but TLT is still down 32% from where it was over two years ago. My little two ETF RUR model is up five over that time. I'm not bragging about it. I'm simply saying sometimes people do make this complicated. And I think it really states clearly that we are in a stagnant environment, unless you're a trader, it's a stagnant environment that has not really shown its cards yet. And one of the scenarios I talked about in an article on Seeking Alpha earlier this year, uh, looks a lot like 1999, 2000, especially when it comes to sentiment, Uh, but there is no historical precedent for the pandemic. And uh, we've been floating on a decade of free money through the pandemic. And then uh, what happened after that? More free money. And so I just don't think people have gotten off that kick, that sugar high. And um, so I approach things day to day, very cautiously, um, but at the same time, ready to make money wherever it is, on the long side, on the short side, or you know, short-term uh, uh, trading to buy and hold investing that just isn't a lot of buy and hold out there right now. Remember that I am a diehard technician. My late father taught me to chart when I was 16 years old, and I'm 44 years older than that now, so it's been a while. It doesn't matter what you say all week. When it's game time, you know, the scoreboard is what matters. And I think the charts tend to tell us the scoreboard. So yes, uh, I am very well aware of things like how many times the Fed will cut rates or uh, will they not cut rates or will they raise rates, et cetera. Do I think inflation is done? I never know for sure. I mean, people who are guessing about that stuff, uh, you know, they're 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 either speculating or they're lying about what they think. That that's my belief. So, I uh, what do the charts tell me and how does it jive with the real world? The charts tell me right now that we haven't kicked inflation yet just like the 70s. Uh, where it came roaring back much worse the second time. I am not saying that that is going to happen. But just like the ROAR score, uh, I I could put a percentage on it. I haven't. But if I had a guess on the fly here, I'd say, yeah, I'd say there's probably about a 60% chance that inflation is, we have not seen the last of high inflation. And let's remember, the last few years have affected savers very differently than people who don't have a lot of savings uh you know my i talk about my personal portfolio all the time and it is stuffed with t-bills and you know treasuries out to two years okay because w- what a great ballast or anchor that is uh, i think uh especially at you know 60 years old um and and you know kind of accumulated and say and and yeah sure still saving but but also trying to look at things out there and say, wow, how much better can I do over the next year in you know making four and a half or the treasuries? I mean the the uh, the shortest term T bills uh are still in the five and a quarter, almost five and a half percent. So, you know, a lot of times you hear things like, Well, there's cash on the sidelines. Yeah, well, why shouldn't it be on the sidelines? It that's that's the best place you can go. And You know, we are in the um, throes of earnings season here. You know, we're toward the end of it. um, And, you know, without even naming names, because it doesn't matter. There's so many, probably too many to count. But yeah, there are some companies that have done well uh, after you know the analysts lower the uh, uh, the estimates, as uh, as fellow uh, uh, contributor uh, uh, Lance Roberts uh, likes to say, "Millennial soccer, everybody gets a trophy." You keep uh, uh, lowering the uh, the estimates until the companies can beat them. I'm not saying corporate America is in bad shape; most companies are in good shape, but there there's a lot of uh, situations where people kind of get jacked up on what's going up, and I've written recently about how past performance analysis and relying on it is the absolute worst thing an investor can do, especially now. And all you have to do is talk to the people that had a lot of money in companies, a lot of them in the tech area, some in others, where all of a sudden you wake up one day and so what if you had a stop order 5% below the price? It closed one day at X and it opened the next day at twenty five percent below X. Well, that stop order is no good anymore. You're not selling out at minus five, you're selling out at minus twenty-five, if at all. So uh, you know, to me, I still see uh I see a lot of dangers, but just because there's risk, it doesn't mean that it's gonna be realized. And so every day I have my eyes wide open, looking for somewhere to go with the money. And I have to say, on the equity side, um, uh, you know, I think my my YARP portfolio yielded a reasonable price, which I've started write about a bit more. Uh, the way I pick stocks, dividend stocks, uh, you know, it's seventy six percent cash, and it has a hedge in it. <laughs> so there's only you know five stocks, and they make up twenty three percent of the portfolio right now. So you know, it, it's it's because I just don't think there's enough clarity and uh, to me good money after bad it'd be one thing if interest rates were a half a percent like they were forever but they're they're not they're not you you get you get paid to wait even if uh you're you're going out three six nine twelve months even out to two years that money allows you to wait and see what happens so you can invest with more clarity
0: so we've been talking about america Any thoughts to the international picture? Lots going on internationally. Any thoughts about how you're looking at that, either vis-a-vis the market or vis-a-vis ETFs?
1: Oh, do I? So, you know, I've written about this. and In fact, I wrote about one very unique uh, country ETF very recently, uh, IZRL, tech stocks, uh, which are headquartered in Israel. Uh, which is one of the tech hubs, and I noted the fact that it, uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, and way before October seventh and the events of that day, uh, tragic as they were for for you know for for all around and everything that's happened since. But just sticking to the investment part of it, uh, there is a historic gap in performance between. Some of the tech stocks that come from outside the U.S. and the ones that we all know and love, you know, that are dominating the S&P as well as the Nasdaq right now. Uh, They're also selling for lower valuations. Uh, You know, I wouldn't say the charts are on fire right now, but they are getting there in some cases. And uh, that is only one example. I do not mean to make it the example. Uh, let me give you a broader perspective on country ETFs, and just to be clear, I'm talking about a long list. I think there's well over 100 of them that invest in a single country. Uh, I share if, if you if you are looking in a database uh, like the one at Seeking Alpha, which is one of the best ones. If you were to search the term iShares MSCI, you would probably come up with I don't know seventy or eighty different ones. Um, you know, all the way down to Pakistan and South Korea and Austria and Poland. I mean, it, you know, when you, when you start to to look that wide, and I thought, okay, well, you know, when I started doing a little more research on this, okay, because at some point the dollar is is going to be a weak spot, not a strong spot. They said, okay, where do you go for diversification in today's market? It, it's not easy because a lot of the stocks that should be diversifying S&P are not performing. Bonds are certainly not a great diversifier, uh, not a reliable one, because uh, a lot of uh, uh, medium to long-term bonds are, are trading almost like stocks. I mentioned TLT before. That's kind of been the poster child for it. So- let's uh, i'm i'm looking at my screen here so let's just take a look and i'll do this very quickly okay so uh as we sit here kind of uh fairly early in the market day on wednesday all right i've got a list of uh uh i guess probably about 80 or 90 country etfs here that i'm looking at to potentially run a country allocation portfolio Uh, In other words, anything but the U.S. and allocating by country using these various vehicles. So just today, as I sit here, uh, there are some that are up uh, 1% to 2%, and there are some that are down 1% to 2%. And if I just look at the year to date, and remember, we're only talking seven weeks here, uh, there there are some that are up as much as 18% year to date. Uh, there's a bunch that are down in the high single digits and there's even one down 32%. So, you know, without naming names, cause uh, you know, the names will change if we do this again, you know, in, in, a week. Uh, but to me, and, and it's not just for the last six weeks. Okay. Or not just for today, it goes back a long way. Uh, and that's more of the research I'm starting to, to do with my, with my, uh, research squad here, uh. I think that looking at countries and breaking the world out there, uh, I have to figure out exactly what the reasons are, although I'm sure we can guess every country is different and uh, different sector emphases and cap sizes and things like that. But the bottom line on country investing and why I'm looking to start a country allocation ETF portfolio is that they are an array of outcomes. And that's what you want as an investor. You want to be able to look at a bunch of securities and say, there's an array of possible outcomes here on almost any timeframe. And then I can be a smart asset allocator, not somebody who thinks I'm okay because I'm 60, 40, uh, but the 60 is crowded into a small number of stocks as so mostly S&P. And the 40 is an oops, surprise. Look at how much duration risk I had in my bond portfolio. That was the story of 2022. And uh, anybody who doesn't want to repeat that or believes like me that we are still in a period of stagnation uh, and that value will come uh, from maybe places that we're not used to it coming from because we haven't looked. Uh, I I think this is a very viable place to go. And and so that's the latest uh, leg onto the work we're doing at uh, ETFforyourself.com.
0: Very good. Very good. And how would you update investors? Last time you were on talking about yield, how would you update investors how you're thinking about that?
1: If you don't mind, I'd like to try to use my current YARP dividend equity portfolio and I've written about you know the holdings that I bought them uh, on seeking Alpha and I'll continue to do more of that but I'd like to use it as an example okay not just to say you know what what I own for starters, people focus way too much on picks we're all we're all part of it, okay picks are important. What to buy now, what to sell now, what's your rating on this, et cetera. Sure, it's important, okay? But if that is done in isolation, then you're doing the very last step of the investment process. It starts with what's your philosophy? It goes on to what's your process, how do you how do you decide? how to put a portfolio together and P is portfolio the third one so I got a lot of P's going here uh and then finally you you get down to selection and rotation and that's where the picks come in although uh, and and I'm basing this off of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of uh, mostly really insightful and and in and education seeking uh uh, folks that I've talked to and and frankly gotten to know, you know, at least uh, uh, through the comments section, uh, at Seeking Alpha, it's it's been one of the more rewarding experiences of my 38 year career uh being able to speak with folks you know who are do-it-yourself investors like my late father was uh and 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 this is the the new generation of it so as it applies to my yarp dividend portfolio right now and again yarp something it's a statistic i created it's trademark i mentioned before i own five stocks in the portfolio now if somebody looked at that and they said okay let's see uh you own and i'll 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 name it here you own gilead you own Energy, you own Verizon, you own Cisco with a C, not an S, and you own international paper. They all met the criteria. It's not 100% accurate. Okay. You know, most of the stocks are down since I bought them. Uh, they're not catastrophes. Um, you know, it, it's a process. It's a process that takes place, you know, over an intermediate period of time. But where I think a lot of people go wrong is they say, oh, wow. Those, those stocks aren't doing very well right now. Well, OK, that's one red flag that somebody needs to do a little bit more homework on how to be a portfolio manager. Those five stocks, like who cares what the stocks are? They're 23% of the portfolio. OK, 76% of it is in T-bill ETFs and T-bills. And a very small percentage is in put options on the Dow. Why the Dow? Because the Dow tends to be a little closer in nature to the type of stocks I buy, the dividend stocks, you know, as opposed to s and NASDAQ, which are very tech heavy, low yielding. I think the SP is yielding about, I mean, less than one and a half. So, uh, you know, you look at it and it's like, okay, those five stocks could all really just do poorly. Okay. It's not going to affect me as much as if I had 90 to 100% of my portfolio in them. Why do I only own five stocks? Because I've only been able to find five to buy in a portfolio at a 25 Now, I have several others that I'll be writing about very soon on Seeking Alpha uh, because I'm finding more, but it's a slow process. I started building this portfolio just a couple months ago, and that is the point, Rena. That's what I want everybody to get. It all goes back to the ROAR score we talked about at the beginning. Think of your investments as 100% of something, okay, a proverbial $100, and then start to make decisions like, how much do I want to have on offense versus defense? How do I want to play offense? Usually equities, but it could be stocks, ETFs, both, mutual funds even, Uh, and then on defense, you know, there's inverse ETFs, there's put options, and and as of a couple of years ago, once again, thankfully, there's T-bills and there's short-term treasuries and there's, you know, junk bonds and corporates and munis for those who are so inclined. I mean, there, there's so many ways to play offense and defense. But if you simply look at the headline and say, these are the five stocks I own, okay? I'm not out there saying, Everybody should own these five stocks right now because you'll never lose money and you'll you know, make 20% dividend yield for the rest of your life, okay? That is not me. Um, I am all about taking that proverbial $100 and at any point in time, trying to figure out what the best use of that capital is because like everybody else, I've worked too darn hard to accumulate it and I don't want to just give it back because the market feels good, or because somebody on TV told me that this was a good idea. And that's what I'm hoping to kind of drum into anybody uh, who can stand listening to me.
0: I appreciate that. Who do you or what do you think that investors should be keeping in mind in terms of kind of setting themselves, like, let's say they're positioned however they're positioned, right? and in, in, Investors listening to this could be focused on a number of sectors, a number of stocks, a number of strategies. In terms of looking at the markets in 2024, what do you think the kind of biggest mistake there there is to make in terms of looking at the year. I mean you talked about a lot of things already but if you could synthesize for where investors shouldn't get tripped up aside from their own emotions and other people's opinions, how, how would you articulate that?
1: Past performance if you are rely if your answer to I won't buy this or you're crazy for owning this, because it's done poorly in the past, you are somewhere between giving yourself a massive level of risk that you may not realize, okay? And you're between that and having it exactly backwards, okay? Uh, the whole, you know, the, people talk about value investing, all right? Well, I, I don't even think of myself as a value investor, uh. I am a because I I'm I'm a realist and an opportunist, but I am a contrarian investor, especially at times like these. So, uh, to me, the absolute biggest mistake—and look, one podcast on one media outlet will not change this—and that's okay because as a technician, I see these things showing up in the charts. Uh, I see when when a high has become too high or uh, something that's gone way up has become too dangerous. Uh, doesn't mean that it won't continue to go up. It just means that it's dangerous and the and the risk is way too high for the reward. Again, the Ruhr score. So, and I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that. I see a lot of charts that tell me in the popular areas of the uh, equity market, okay, the NASDAQ would be one. Uh, but of course, since the NASDAQ and the S&P are like 45% over uh, uh, overlap right now, um, I'm seeing early potential for uh, the stuff that's done extraordinarily well to roll over. And the only question is, uh, look, it'll roll over eventually, okay? We'll have a big decline in the NASDAQ, in the S&P, okay? I think maybe less or so in the Dow, but of course, it, it won't escape and small caps, are the index is so poorly constructed that the Russell two thousand is is bound to 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 give way. There's some issues coming coming up in the next twelve months that that are going to probably lead to that. But regardless of what actually happens in the future, where people I think are getting caught right as we're speaking is that they are sitting comfortably saying, "Well, it's it's done so well," and I would say dot dot dot. And what does that mean about the future? As I like to say about past performance, uh, there is a guarantee that comes with past performance. You know, Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. It's, it's at the bottom of every fund statement. But you know what the guarantee of past performance is? You can't have it unless you already owned it. Okay? And to me, the chasing that goes on in markets like this is, and again, I lived through 1999 and 2000, okay? You know, like my dad taught me, first rule, you never know how high something's gonna go up. Second rule, you never know how low something's gonna go, okay? These things can go on forever, but you have to have some home base. For me, it is the charts. I can look at what's going on in the world. I can hear all kinds of noise, including noise that you know I put out on a regular basis. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to have something that is your truth, in my case, it is technical analysis, not the way most people do it. I look at 12 time frames. I look at uh, hundreds of ETFs, many stocks, and the market tells me a story. I'm not looking for that one great super stock, although occasionally I'll run into one, as they say in baseball, uh, when a weak hitter uh, happens to take like a 100 mile an hour fastball and hits it over the fence and everybody's surprised. They say, oh, he ran into one. The rest of 2024 into 2025, if we can skip that far ahead is going to be more of a uh reversal in roles where what has worked for the last uh year plus really since uh late 2022 um will will start to trade places with some things that are getting increasingly undervalued but i will say this about the stock market uh i I always have multiple cases that i look at okay and i'm a tactical investor so i I, you know just because i buy something doesn't mean that i i can't decide to move on you know in in days weeks or months after that Uh, what i'd love is to see a market where we can once again buy things and hold them other than a handful of stocks in retrospect you know talking about the magnificent seven it looks great in, in 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 retrospect but um, you know, there's, there's, there's a bigger story there. So, uh, you know, I am looking first for things to bottom that have been way out of favor. I think some of that may come from the healthcare and the biotech area, but again, these are kind of too early to tell. I think the industrial sector, uh, with a lot of really strong fundamental businesses and I am heavily a user of the Seeking Alpha quant ratings on stocks. Not all of them, but certain ones like the profitability, et cetera, because I'm not a fundamental analyst. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm i a technician, I'm a quant, and, and that speaks to me. So my filtering process to get to this YARP universe from which to choose a portfolio of maybe 25, 30 stocks from uh, at any time, it starts by going to the Seeking Alpha quant ratings uh, I, uh, I, I think what, uh, seeking alpha did in bringing that to the table was absolutely brilliant. And I'm not, he is you know, not
0: being paid for these sentiments.
1: No, no, I am not. No, I'm not. Not at all. Uh, yeah. So I, it's a great filtering process. And again, what did I say? Process. Okay. I'm describing my process when it comes to ETFs is one process. When it comes to stocks, it starts with looking for, Companies with very high profitability ratings. Okay, I'd like to see growth. Fine. I momentum. I'm going to look at the chart, but the momentum grade is 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 certainly not bad. Uh, I look at the dividend. I'm looking for uh, and again, a portfolio is not it's not a bunch of same companies, but the common denominator is you know they have an above average yield. Uh, whether the yield is growing quickly, I don't you know, I'm not too caught up on that because I may not hold the stock that long. Uh, We'll get in more about YARP probably some other time or I'll talk about the process in some articles. But, you know, I I think what this all comes down to, Rena, is is I'm trying to uh, give some at least introduction here to the idea of what an investment process looks like. And I think that people last year and maybe early this year got away with the process of, I just buy what went up because everybody else is. And I do not think that that investment process, which is not a process at all, uh, unless you call you know, blind momentum a process, maybe it is. But I believe that process is going to matter and, uh, and and building portfolios as opposed to picking securities is is going to really be the key to future performance. Uh, especially if you are uh in the later stages of let's call it the accumulation phase of life and uh, or or into uh full retirement uh and but even younger people because everybody who says oh I've got you know 30 years or whatever I'll just put it in 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 the market and and I'll be fine well just make sure you understand what you're getting into okay we had a 13-year period uh this century, OK, since 2000, 13 year period where the S&P's total return was, as I like to say on Sopranos, gots, zero.
0: Yeah, I think I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest lessons and I know that you've talked about this before with Matthew Tuttle when you used to have conversations with him a lot of times around past performance. And I think it's true in life as it is in investing Less reactionary, more thoughtfulness. I think y- your point about having uh, a core truth inside you would bode well for every investor and you know every human trying to navigate the challenges and emotions that come with uh, dealing with sometimes difficult decisions and investing is certainly many times some difficult decisions, but I think made less so if you have a thoughtful strategy behind you. To your point. So thanks, Rob, for sharing so much insight. Look forward to the next one. Come at us with questions. Hit up Rob with whatever questions or comments you may have about what he's talked about today or what you'd like to hear from in general. Appreciate the conversation, Rob.
1: Always a highlight of my day when we get to do this. Thank you, Rena, and thanks for all you do for Seeking Alpha.
0: Likewise, likewise. Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. And for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets, come listen with us at Wall Street Breakfast for all your market news needs.
1: Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.